Heavenly Father, bless your word to our hearts this evening and every evening when we gather in your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. I don't think you need me to tell you that many in our culture see the church today as being anti-sex, anti-love. And people wonder why we seem this way. Why does the church seem so negative toward two or maybe more uh, people simply expressing their love for each other? Well, I guess it's good to remember that we in the church did not ask for this argument. The sexual revolution of the 1960s continues to undermine marriage and the family in ways that none of us could have imagined even a few years ago. We in the church did not ask for any of this, but we've been forced to confront it. Unfortunately, churches have felt more comfortable responding to the excesses of the sexual revolution rather than stating a positive case for biblical moral sexuality. We've been more reactive than proactive. In other words, we're saying and speaking against what we stand against because it's easier. It's easier to state what you're against rather than what you are for. And that's no one's fault but ours. Tonight, I'm not going to focus on what the church is against. I think that's well known, or it should be. I want to focus instead on what we're for, because that's what Luther does in his small catechism. Under the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. He asks, what does this mean? He replies, we should fear and love God, that we lead a chaste and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. Now that's a little different than the way he explains most of the commands. In other cases, Luther explains the commands in light of a negative and then a positive, such as the third commandment, remember the Sabbath. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word. There's the don't. But hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. There is the do. But in the sixth command, Luther ignores the don't altogether. He puts all the emphasis into the do. And that's really my goal tonight. So what is so positive about leading a chaste and decent life? Roman numeral one in your sermon outline, chastity is sexual purity. It's sexual purity, and this word in the Greek is used a number of places in the New Testament. Uh, your first reading for this evening, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Paul writes to Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. 
And the adjective there, hagnos, in the Greek, it's related to the word hagiazo, or to, to sanctify, to make holy. But it, it refers to what is sexually pure and sexually clean. And yes, things can be, people can be sexually pure and sexually clean. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And that includes sexual purity. And then Philippians 4, verse 8, Paul applies this term, this adjective, hognos, or purity, to one's thoughts. Whatever is uh, true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure, or chaste, the word hognos means chaste or pure, referring to sexually pure thoughts. Think on these things. Make these things the focus. Now, chastity is not limited to virginity. Someone may be an unchaste virgin, while someone else may be a chaste husband or a chaste wife. So letter A, among singles, chastity refers to reserving one's sexual expression for the marriage union. It means that you wait to express your sexuality with your future spouse. But among marrieds, chastity refers to the exclusive sexual commitment between a man and his wife, or the husband and the wife. Chastity may be practiced inside of marriage even more than outside of marriage because you might be married for more years than you're single by the time you get the, to the end of your life. You might be sexually active within marriage for more of your life than you are unmarried. Chastity may include abstinence, but it is less about abstinence and more about reserving oneself sexually for one's spouse. Throughout marriage, you reserve yourself for your spouse. And let her see. Chastity is about sexuality in the service of the Lord. And just as you are called to serve God in a variety of ways, you are called to serve God sexually as well. Whether you're single or whether you're married, we all serve God sexually in our whole being. Roman numeral two, Chastity implies a higher purpose for our sexuality than self-gratification. God has a higher calling for you than to spend your time gratifying self. I think we know from experience that self never receives enough attention, does it? Our culture views sex as something we receive or even take from someone for the satisfaction of oneself. Our culture sells sex as a means of self-gratification. On the other hand, the Bible views our sexual activity as a gift that we give to our spouse to express our love for and our oneness with him or her 
and to bring new life into the world, which is a visible representation of the oneness between husband and wife. The child represents that oneness. Letter A, in antiquity, exhortations to the husband to love his wife are rare outside Christian literature. You just hardly ever find any pagan references to love, love of one's wife. It focuses, the, the pagans focus on how the husband should rule his household well, but virtually nothing is ever said about love toward the wife. Therefore, in Ephesians 5, our last reading this evening, when Paul writes that the very first things husbands must do is love their wives, it is stunning. And if you want to know what a chaste lifestyle within marriage looks like, listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, that is the essence of a chaste, loving relationship between two people. It is a radical giving of oneself for another and to another. Paul goes on, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now that is our Lutheran understanding of baptism, is it not? Water is joined to God's powerful word. Paul goes on, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now that is radical stuff. It's unheard of in the pagan world, the ancient world. He who loves his wife loves himself, Paul writes, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Again, this describes the radical giving of oneself to the other in marriage. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. This radical giving of oneself creates a unity that did not exist before. We are now members of his body, the church, because of his radical self-giving at the cross. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Now, again, this is unheard of in the ancient world. In the ancient world, the bride would leave her parents' home and join the household of the groom and his parents. And, and that would create the necessity of what was known, and still is known today, as the bride price. Because the bride's family is leaving a valuable worker behind, or they're giving away a valuable worker, the groom's family must compensate the bride's family. That's the bride price. It still happens around the world. It's happened throughout antiquity. But in the Bible, the man leaves his home and is joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
And Paul goes on, this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. That is to say, Genesis 22 refers to Christ and the church all the way back then. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So let her be. As Christ gives himself to his bride, the church, the husband gives himself to his wife. And I want to underline this, and it's, that's why it's underlined in your outline. Only after he has publicly left his parents' home. Only after. The groom's leaving of his parents' home is so significant that it is evidenced by a public ceremony. And do you know what that public ceremony is called? A wedding. That's what it's called. Only then does he become one flesh with his bride. The wedding ceremony is there to commemorate the man separating himself from his parents. But what about the bride? Doesn't she do that as well? Well, she does, but there's something more important with her. Let her see. The bride has become the man's new home. She is the man's new home. And Luther goes into this in his commentary on Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 notes that the Lord built the woman from the rib of the man. You know, in our English translations, he made the woman from the rib of the man, right? But literally in the Hebrew, it's he built the woman. It's carpenter talk, okay? The woman's body is envisioned as a building for the man. Luther comments on this saying that the woman has become the man's new home. Now, in a wider sense, all of this symbolizes God dwelling with his people. That's what God did in Eden. This is what God will do in the garden restored on the last day. God has joined himself to humanity, first in the person of Jesus Christ, and that will be fully realized, completed now, in the new heavens and the new earth, in the book of Revelation, where the dwelling of God is again with man. Just as the woman was built by God to be the man's home, the church is built to be God's dwelling, God's home in eternity. And letter D, the bride is the garden. She is the garden to which she allows her husband alone access. And you can read this in the Song of Solomon. If you haven't read the Song of Solomon in a while, I encourage you to go do it. And it, it, it describes, and, and please, excuse me for my graphic language here once in a while in this sermon, but I'm just trying to speak the way Scripture speaks that's what I'm called to do, so, so bear with me. This is what a chaste marriage looks like. This is chastity in action. It is, she controls access to the garden and she allows him alone access there. It is the husband's exclusive commitment to his wife which makes all of this relationship possible. That is the foundation of the wife's commitment to her husband, and it is what makes the relationship a marriage. 
Roman numeral three, by the mercies of God, that is to say the gospel, this is kind of one of our theme verses now for this whole sermon series. By the mercies of God, that is the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus, his death and resurrection for us. By virtue of this, present your bodies now as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And letter A, this includes your sexual organs your sexual organs. Your genitals are included in your service to God. We don't think of our genitals in that way, but perhaps we should. Before our baptism into Christ, we were slaves to sin and self. Before our baptism into Christ, we presented the members of our bodies, all of them, as instruments of unrighteousness for self-gratification. But the good news is, and Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 6, we were washed, we were sanctified, and justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And as a result, we believe that our bodies and all of our members have a higher calling in this world than self-gratification. We are called to love as we have been loved and to give ourselves in service as we have been served. That is a life of significance for every one of us. And let her be. As Christ presents himself bodily to us, even now in the Lord's Supper, he presents himself bodily to us. We present ourselves bodily to him. This means we use every part of our body in his service. That is the high calling that every part of your body has. That is to say, your ears have a higher purpose in life than hearing gossip. Your tongue has a higher purpose than blaming others. Your eyes have a higher purpose than lustful viewing. And even your most private parts have the high calling of bringing new life into this world as a blessing to all and of expressing your oneness with that one whom God has given to you. In Jesus' name, amen.